listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. It's funny. I've never seen your background before. So, Uh-oh, we're missing a shoe again today. <laughs> the show can't go on until that shoe is... This is the closest I've come to missing one in a little bit. We were out getting groceries. We got so much snow last night oh, that gosh. it was just slow moving. Yeah. Man, it is very, very different status here. I'm like, I've come down to a world where it's 75 degrees every single day right now. So Where are you? I'm in Medellin, Colombia. Oh. so I yeah. just watched all These about are... that on Narcos. <laughs> I don't know if it was a good choice, but my wife and I watched that whole series within the last two months after we'd already decided Perfect. to move here. Nice. How long have you been down there? Uh, a week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so and I, I kind of feel like a jerk because I asked Ryan to record with us and I didn't even think about the timeline of your move. Like we literally have this, we're going to record today. You just, you're probably not even settled yet. And here you are making time for us. You know what? My kids are back in school right now. Um, you know, so they've been going now for three days. And so uh, it's we're, we're in a pretty good rhythm already, you know? So is your wife from Columbia? No. Uh, so we we picked this for a variety of reasons. She does speak Spanish, but she's not um, she's not from here. We have zero connection to here. Um, but we wanted to we've always wanted to live abroad. Um, and, you know, we really wanted to be Spanish speaking. Um, and so we kind of had this vision of wanting to do that somewhere in the world. Um, and so we looked around at a lot of different places and this hit just a lot of criteria we were looking for. We wanted it to be not to be so nice where people would speak English all the time. We wanted to have some level of stability, um, you know, for to move a family there, um, kind of close enough to the US, but access to South America. So it hit a lot of different criteria and also beautiful weather year round. So it hit a lot of criteria we were looking for. So that's how we ended up here. For six months. How old are your kids? They are 11 and 9, so fifth and third grade. You're a brave man. <laughs> he you just know, made a post. I saw your post that you made maybe this morning about yeah. the tears that have been happening this week with the kids and how it's like They're such happening. a tough adjustment. They're probably in culture shock. Hey? They are. They are. It's like one of those things we know eventually it's going to be this thing that, you know, either they'll appreciate or they'll benefit from one of the two. Um, but yeah, right now it's in the hard moment. So, and it's funny, Bracken, people have often called what my wife and I have done a brave as brave, you know, and when we've taken these road trips across the country with them for, you know, a few different months and things like that. And I think I've understood that brave means crazy, right? <laughs> like, I think it's not, I don't know if it's actually a compliment. Well, brave doesn't mean good necessarily. <laughs> it means knowing this could suck, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it either way. True. True. So, huh. Do they do your kids speak? Um, Sorry, before we move on, are your kids yeah, yeah. fluent? No, that's part of the goal of being here is to come out on the other side um, oh. with the language. You know, in addition to you know the the idea of you know trying to understand what it's like to live in a different culture, to understand different parts of the world outside the United States, and so that's been a really big important. But just to come away with that gift of language, um, that's the goal. So they have some. We were in Costa Rica this past summer for a month. They took Spanish every day. We've been doing a bunch of stuff with them, but it's okay. still, you know, they're not, it's real base level. So this will be their time to shine. If you, uh, if you haven't gathered, Ryan lives life full tilt, Bracken. Not sure if you've picked up I'm on that. I'm starting to see yet. that. Uh-huh. That's why I wanted to chat with him today. I, I don't know if there's ever some, a time you're not chasing something. 
there's not something for you to grab in the future that you have to work towards. I, since I've known uh, you. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I'm probably also like one of the most least impressive guests you've ever probably had on this show with, you know, not, not having written a book, not having once set any world records or anything like that. Like yeah, we <laughs> have Nick Riker on. That's true. Yeah. He is, a, he is uh, from Nash- I'm from Nashville too. And he's local to that area. So he runs in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> aren't you um oh. we're getting cut up so i know so ryan for those listening ryan is an athlete uh that i coach um i don't know how long we've been working together it has to be around a year i would assume here yeah somewhere it's somewhere right around right around a year um and we have an athlete call tomorrow to check to catch up i believe so you're gonna get like a lot of me in the next two days and vice versa but i actually don't know your current exactly. situation so let me just ask you now um are you at altitude as well, right? You're at elevation a little bit. Yeah, so we're at 5,000 feet. Are you it's feeling it so far? You know, I, I thought I might feel a little bit more, um, but it's – I can't tell – whatever. Sometimes you don't know if you run and your just legs are tired or it's because of the altitude or things like that. I haven't been breathing heavy or things like that. My son had some headaches for a little while. Um, so, I mean, and we know it's there, but it's uh, not too bad. Hmm. It's probably because of the altitude. If you're a little sluggish, yeah, that's what I think, or the move, yeah, or yeah. the stress, I blame it all, or it the all weather. On the, uh, on the uh-huh. There you go. So, <clears throat> so the reason I wanted to talk to you today, um, and Bracken, we kind of chatted about this a little bit, so you have an idea. But why don't you tell the people um, what you do for a living? I guess for work first. Yeah, Let's start so, with that. So I teach at Vanderbilt University. Um, I, I have this kind of Frankenstein job there, where I teach in three different departments. Um, so I was a high school teacher. Um, and, you know, did my doctorate in education policy. Um, but um, I also had a really strong interest in, in social psychology. Uh, and actually, I originally applied for my PhD in social psychology. Um, and I, you know, applied to Stanford and really was excited about getting in, really was you know, hopeful about studying social psychology. And um, I didn't get in. And I, you know, asked for some feedback about, you know, hey, you know, what, what would I need to do different? They said, well, everything you wrote about was about education. You've been in teaching, like I was teaching psychology in high school. And um, they're like, we, we think that you would make a really big impact in education, but you wouldn't have the kind of thing, make the impact you're looking for in psychology. It's like, so we really recommend that you go and do something like education policy so you can really use what you're talking about to make an actual impact in schools, right? So, um, so I, I wasn't, I took that to heart. I was bummed, but... You know, so then I applied the next year uh, and applied for education policy uh, PhD and did that work at Vanderbilt. Um, and so I've been in education um, doing that work, but I still I loved psychology, right? And I would um, I missed it. I think about it. I read about it. It's just how I see the world. And um, so I went to the psychology department. Uh, we had been moving back to Nashville, and I was running my own business, and uh, I was teaching adjuncting on the side. And uh, I went to the psychology department. I said, Hey, you know do you have any psychology classes that, you know, need teaching, need a professor? And I said, no, you know, not right now. And, you know, I was like, okay. So I, you know, I came back a year later and I was like, Hey, I'm still here. Like, let me know if you have any interest in me teaching psychology. And they said, actually, you know, we just had an opening uh, and we need somebody to teach social psychology. Right. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Right. Like, yes, of course. That's like what I wanted to do. Right. This is, this is my area. And so that was, you know, probably seven or eight years ago. So I've been teaching it. Uh, ever since then. Um, so I teach social psychology, I teach education policy, and I help train new teachers at Vanderbilt. Um, so it's kind of this mismatch 
type of type okay, of job. Okay, so I have to ask: Do you sample our episodes, or are you relatively regular in listening? Man, I'll tell you, it is not, not that I, the answer matters. No, I would say my you, next question: at least once a week. Because okay. Kurt's motivational ear while I'm doing a workout in my head <laughs> is very, very helpful. Okay. Second question then. From time to time, I speak about my experiences in education. As yes. the teacher who made the statistic of making it less than five years as a special educator and then leaving the field, what does that make you feel as an <laughs> education policy instructor and someone who enacts that is that like a man this is what we don't need or does it reflect like how does it reflect on the field in your feelings and your experiences when i talk about my negative experiences yeah. in the field so you know so I, I mean i teach a class called teacher policy right so like my actual very specific work in education is about policies related to teachers okay compensation retention all that kind of stuff like that so I have like a, my answer on that is a little bit my like, it kind of depends on where you were really, really highly effective teacher, right? Because um, I think this, all retention is not necessarily what our goal is, but selective retention. So if you are a really like, you know, top of the line teacher or, you know, a, a good teacher, then we're doing something wrong, right? We're setting up the situation wrong. We're setting up the compensation wrong. We're setting up like your feeling, your pathway within teaching is like a long-term pathway. Like we missed the mark on that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where that's where okay. I come up. I didn't know if it rubbed you the wrong way hearing me speak negatively about my last year and a half of teaching. Well, you're not the only person that's that's saying these Correct. things. Right? Like you're you're res, you resonate very strongly, and you know a lot of my work was in teacher evaluation, and it's also in you know very very much in key teacher compensation, all, all those things that are designed to try to do a better job of keeping teachers like you in the classroom. Well, maybe you asked if I was highly effective. I don't think I can answer that, but okay. the answer right. might All be right. that maybe I wasn't designed to be in the classroom. Right. <laughs> maybe right. it was good okay. riddance. <laughs> well, now I have anyway, a question for you, Bracken. Okay, go ahead. Well, I want to know, now I want to know, let's say you weren't an athlete and you had no hope in pursuing any yeah. sort of actual career in athletics and you, would you still be teaching? Would, would you have, or would you have found yep. a reason to get out regardless? Or I would say because in, and it's funny, not funny, but interesting. I was on ORM about two months ago and talked specifically about my exit from teaching and why. And I had some responses after that, like, oh, this just like epitomizes what's wrong with the legislative side of education. And a few like, you are what's wrong with teachers not following the legislative side of education. So I didn't know which side you were kind of falling into, but I would still be at my original school. Yeah. I left that school because it was a perfect, safe situation. I looked ahead and realized I can be doing this exact same thing 30 years from now on autopilot. And I have so much support from the admin. And it was a small community. And it was just like idyllic and really, really vanilla. And I had just gotten into OCR. I just got into OCR and I was re-challenged again by things and realized... I'm going to be on autopilot here for 30 years. I can't do that anymore. So chasing sports was the catalyst for realizing I wasn't happy there, which is when I went to a challenging district and that challenging district ran me out of teaching. So yes, Kirk, I would still be teaching and being some level of effective up to the admin to decide. Well, we're going to get to Ryan here in a second again, but it's funny about the teaching thing because when I had gone to graduate school, um, exercise physiology and sports psychology, 
And the idea, my big picture goal was to, uh, sports psychology was important if I was going to get hired as a coach and with an ex-phys undergrad, as long as I, or graduate degrees, as long as I coached, they could hire me on as staff. So my, my plan was to coach and teach at university. That was what I wanted to do. Little did I know I'd have health problems and then pivot and now do this. But like, we all could have been educators, all of us. But only right. one really had had what it took. I still, I guess. Like I am <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, right. The, the reason this conversation came to be is Bracken <clears throat> had an episode. I think over the New Year's, I was sick. One of the I missed two episodes. I think with COVID, I don't remember what it was. No, I had something else. Anyways, he did a, a soliloquy, which he's done a number of times when I've been out, and he nails them. In soliloquy my is generous. Uh, well, it was very poetic. Monologue Anyways, at best. <clears throat> no, I'm going soliloquy. Anyways, uh, and you basically, what was the summary of that episode, Bracken? Why don't you tell us what the summary, what, what was the there main point of people, your episode? Two types of individuals, people who consistently find reasons not to get things done or people who get things done. They find a way to do it rather than a reason not to do it. And every time I do one of these solo episodes, it kind of kicks the nest a little bit, and you get all reactions out of it. Well, uh, positive. Ryan messaged me after you listened to the episode and said, like, Bracken nailed it. Like, he, I totally, like, you basically pat him on the back via, through me and said, not but, but and the other side of the coin is if you're, if you're the person who finds ways not to get things done, what what then right is that what i sort of is that did i understand your approach to that or your your inquisitive text yeah. in that regard yeah i mean I, I think there were a lot of pieces that resonated very strongly with you know what we see in the research around motivation and and things like that so you know and you know number one just like in your experience working with athletes you see you see like people with different levels of resilience and motivation to push past barriers right mm -hmm. number one like get it done as you call it right so then you had you saw people that were stopping to care over time and made excuses and weren't even feeling guilty about it, right? That mm. you saw people using blame in order to kind of avoid having to change their behavior. You saw, you know, people were, you know, your idea of like building momentum, just like do a whole week and don't do any, any excuses as a habit. Like all of those pieces, I was like, yes, that's great. Like, you know, all of us like very much resonated with, you know, things that we were talking about. And you, you had this statement that was like, you've got some real work. Right. Uh, and what I mentioned is I, I, I kind of wanted to dig in about what that work might look like. Right. So what does mm -hmm. that actually happen and how do you know you need to do the work kind of expand it? So I, I, what I was thinking about was thinking like, I think to give a better understanding of like why we have this battle of, as runners of getting it done and not getting it done. Right. Mm -hmm. And then number two, like what are all the warning signs? Like you mentioned blame, but there are other warning signs that show that we're doing this, that we should look for. And then finally, it's just to really better understand our own motivation is for running or any activity in general. So we can be more realistic about the types of supports that we need to be like more of a person that gets it done. Um, and I think it's just, I mean, the overall goal I was thinking of is just more awareness of ourselves as athletes and people. So we can be more empowered to set ourselves up for success. So that's kind of where I was thinking about. I like that. And I, I got, plenty of messages afterwards and on the negative side they were split into two columns one was like 
oh, real cool. Tell us everything that's wrong, but don't tell us how to get better at it, which <laughs> like, is the knee-jerk reaction of someone who blames others. However, it's also a fair response if maybe formulated differently, which is, okay, if I can identify that I am helpless, help me help myself. So I think that that is needed. And then the other side was the people who did have the awareness to say, I know I'm always finding excuses, but I just don't know where to even begin. And then the third that didn't reach out are probably mm. the people that didn't even hear it. They didn't know yeah, it's that. Which is a strategy by itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's that they build up the callus <laughs> to it. They build a resistance to it. They, a tolerance to, to blame or sympathy or like feeding off that IV drip of other people feeling sorry for them but they're not even recognizing their signs. So I'd love to start with what are the other signs other than I always have someone else who's at fault. Let's start with, yeah. with that. Let's dive into that and then move on from there to strategies and, and everything else that spawns off that. And can yeah. I, sorry to interrupt yeah, real quick, Go ahead. but I want to preface what, what we're going to talk about with like, from my perspective, who you are, first of all, like, so people know where this is coming from, Right. Um, obviously you introduce yourself as a professor, but you, and, and Ryan, who lives in South America and is obviously living life pretty hard, but the athlete side of you is also there. So you're not only a professor, but you grab hold of whatever you're pursuing. I feel like pretty firmly. And I've never heard a single excuse out of you, uh, in a, in a year. I, I haven't other than when you were sick. That one time, like heaven forbid, you got really sick and couldn't train. That wasn't even an excuse. And, and Ryan is either he's in his main passion is ultimate Frisbee. You guys were national champs this last year. You achieved your goal. Um, his love isn't running. His first love isn't running. It's ultimate Frisbee. But Ryan always has to have something to better himself and make himself better. And so he chooses OCR and running as his off season pursuit. His on season is Frisbee which is another side of the coin that I want to talk about having more in your life than just running. But I figure that'll be an after conversation. So just saying who this is coming from, a professor, an athlete, you're 40, how old are you? 45. 40 what? 45. And Ryan has successfully chased athletic pursuits from what I know the majority of your adult life. So just setting the stage like to who you are, that's how I perceive you. Whether I'm right or wrong, I guess I don't know. But that's the guy talking right now. Sorry to ruin the flow, but well, I thought that was important. No, I mean, I, I mean that'll that'll come through in some of the other pieces that we kind of talk about today, right? Too is that, you know, I I fully appreciate it. I mean, Kirk, as a coach, like you've never been offended by the fact that you know the, that running is the bridesmaid, right? And like you know, ultimate frisbee has always been the goal, and this is just you know something that works for me in the off season uh, that I've mm -hmm. just found relatively recently. Um, and, you know, never, never, you know, always been very respectful of that. So, um, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. but I mean, a lot of that discrepancy between running and ultimate really like plays into a lot of the pieces that we're going to talk about today, you know? So, well, I'm okay, glad now that, that a, you I'll reached go. out, but I'm also glad you're an educator because this spawned for me as a special ed teacher, the, it was the shared trait amongst all of the students with learning disabilities who did not take ownership of it. They were just masters, and it came from their parents. They were masters of leaning on their learning disability as a catch-all excuse and justification for why they weren't going to ever get it done. And then it was really interesting when I got into the athletic world and saw that the same traits were being used by people without disabilities, but almost like acquiring a disability. 
And so it's, I, I really like that this is the perspective you get to come from on it. So like at this point, take over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and I, and I want to get to like those different, the different pieces, but I think it's like, you gotta, you gotta like figure out like, why did these coming up in the first place? Because there's this like battle, right? And like a lot of the battle that we have that even gets to why we need excuses later is like, because we have to, <clears throat> the choice between running or playing sports or, you know, for the majority of us that have other things in our life that comes with a trade-off. Um, and we've got these competing forces that make us choose one important thing at the expense of another important thing. Right. And that doesn't feel good. So for example, I, you know, I care about my training and I also care about my family, right? These are mm -hmm. both true, right? Or I care about my training and I care about being successful at my job. Like those are also both true. Right. And then that bad come feeling comes when the trade from that comes from this trade-off where we have to sometimes decide between them is this idea of cognitive dissonance, which a lot of people have probably heard of, but it's just what happens inside of us when we're holding these inconsistent thoughts or beliefs or actions. And right. So, you know, if I decide to do my training, which means I don't spend time with my family that I care about, I'll feel it. Right. Or if I don't do my training and I spend time with my family or I put in extra hours at work, right? Like I still, either way, I feel inconsistent or bad or guilty or whatever, you know, that feeling that you experience because your brain doesn't like holding these two discrepant beliefs at the same time. Um, and so, I mean, even without these like big picture conflicts of, you know, family and professional, there's more common dissonance when you have, like you're deciding to work out each day, you know, when, you know, because training requires a lot of effort, right? And, you know, we're going to experience some dissonance that needs to be resolved by choosing either something effortful or like choosing something without effort that like conflicts with our training goals. Right. So we're kind of like screwed either way and nobody's immune to it. Um, and, you know, it's a question of when I experience this dissonance, what happens next? Right. And the answer is that you'd like to reduce it. And the really big implication that there are for athletes is just how you resolve that discrepancy. Right. So how do you reduce the dissonance? And that's where it comes up with these different like types of excuses that we're going to talk about. So. Um, so do you want me to just jump into the next part or, or like, well, what, you know, like the, the excuses and questions? I have one question on what you just said. Um, you said like either way, you're kind of screwed, meaning like or something along those lines, meaning like either way, there's going to you'll most likely feel like you are underachieving or taking away from something else. By, like there's no way around it are you saying or there are like i guess i'm wondering what you're implying by yeah. saying that either way you're you're you know disregarding a potentially attractive alternative and you have to like let that sit right in your head um so you know sitting on the couch and relaxing and whatever it is is an attractive alternative right um we're not talking about an easy decision you know, uh, it's kind of like, you know, some of those commercials that are like the world's easiest decision. We're not talking about those, you know, mm. we're talking about two that are competing with each other that make it a hard decision, which is when we experience this dissonance in the first place. It's only with hard decisions. But I think this is why okay. so many people can't become world champions or the best ever because most of the best, not most, many of the best ever don't have that same internal battle. Like the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants <laughs> of the world, the Lance Armstrongs. They, if they have it, have either a process or scar tissue over it where they just leave a trail of wrecked relationships behind them because they don't 
either don't value that other side of the coin or have just found a way to make it that voice very small in the background. And they will comfortably or uncomfortably every single time choose the goal over the relationship. But it's not necessarily a skill that you want to aspire to for the average person. But we need a version of that. I'm telling you, 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 are you sure you don't have any kind of background in psychology? Because you're, I mean, you're like previewing a lot of stuff that, you know what I mean, or, that, that came to mind for this in terms of like, yeah, like you will get into like the type of motivation that exists for that type of activity and those type of people is, is very natural. It is very much part of their identity. And often you don't even run into dissonance. They don't put themselves in situations where there's discrepancies, right? But like, that's probably not the majority of us. Yeah, and you, know? you, and you don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the wrecked pieces, yeah. Right. So, But so could yeah, an so example yeah. of that be something as simple? An example of that be something as simple as, I, I guess you're right, there'd still be some sort of discrepancy. Like, I don't work the first half of the day, and from 6 to 10 a.m. is my time to train as a professional athlete, and then I'll go work the afternoon. But yet you're still taking away from financial gain or – whatever, I guess. So there's always a cost, mm -hmm. right? I suppose. I'm just trying to think of a scenario where everybody wins, but I'm sure, I'm sure those are hard to come by. Well, Maybe then you're not going to have dissonance, which is fine, but that's not, that's not the training. You know what I mean? That's not like the <laughs> single that's, where excuses right. come up. And you know, independently your wealthy. You're set. <laughs> easy, easy breezy. Yeah. Mm. Got it. Um, so, you know, and, and it's a question of, okay, so now what happens when we experience this feeling, right? So we've got a few different options. You've got, you know, the change the behavior. That's option one, right? So it's either I can choose to do the training or not do the training. Or I've also got, I can change the attitude, right? How do I feel about the thing, right? And I can say, well, I don't really care about training or family's not that important to me or something. You know what I mean? I can change an attitude, right? And then there's this third bucket, which is these things called indirect strategies, right? And you might hear these as excuses or justifications and things like that. And like the blame game is one that you mentioned, right? And these indirect strategies are basically really common. And that's what gets in our way. And we've got a lot of options at our disposal, disposal for these strategies, right? So I'd go through a few common ones because I would say these are going to be some of like the warning signs that like a runner or an athlete can look for when I, it says to me, I'm feeling dissonance and like I'm using an indirect strategy instead of something ideal, which is, you know, change behavior, correct behavior, recommit. Those types of things is what we'd like to see. But instead, I'm using this other one to get away with it. Right. So these are like red flags or signals kind of thing. And the first one is, is blame. Right. So, you, I mean, that's like probably a very big common one. Like I would have run if it wasn't for the weather, your boss, you name it. Right. The common through threat is like reducing responsibility. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but the second one is minimizing. Um, so sometimes it's called like trivialization and you'll make the infraction seem minor. And so it's, it may be something as simple as like, well, it was only one workout that I missed that worked out wouldn't have helped me very much. Like, you know, those types of like minimizing the important also signals, like I'm feeling dissonance and I'm not changing my behavior. I'm using this like indirect strategy instead. Right. A third one would be compare, right? Like favorably compare, where you put yourself in a better light by comparing you to something or someone worse, right? I ran more than that dude on Strava that I follow, or like I didn't shirk my workout as much as I did last week or something like that, right? <laughs> and so you, you create a false comparison to like make your current status look better without having to change anything about what you're actually doing. And then mm. you've got another one, which is, you know, change the deal, 
right? Um, it's called like adding consonant cognitions. And so you do something that wasn't part of the original deal, right? You change the deal. You say like, oh, well, I ate a healthy lunch today, so I don't have to work out, right? But that wasn't part of the deal. That wasn't like eat a healthy lunch or work out. It was work out, right? There wasn't, that wasn't part of the original deal or like do extra minutes ne next week or things like that. Again, this is like not part of the deal. Um, and like, I'm not even, I'm not like, there are other ones that are available, like gaslighting, like you can talk about like, well, weight workouts don't actually help you running or, you know, distraction, forgetting, avoidance. But I'm guessing the listeners of a podcast on running are not using like avoidance strategies and things like that. But so like these four, this like blame, minimize, you know, compare and change the deal are probably the most likely ones uh, that are coming up. And I'm, and I'm curious, like, did the, have you, do these resonate with things that you've heard from your athletes? hundred percent. Yeah. Without question. I, I actually am curious, Brack, all three, all three of us should say if you were, cause none of us are perfect. So don't you tell me none of these apply to you ever. If you were to grab one of those four as a natural tendency and be, being aware of it and then blocking it is another thing, right? But what would be your one of the four that you may use in your own internal rhetoric? Any of them? I, I know which deal. one jumps out at me. Yep. You change the deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have an example. So I think I'm so darn smart that in the middle yes. of the workout, <laughs> I can come up with a better way of doing this than what I initially planned to do. And then afterwards, I'm like, I know I'm not to be trusted mid-workout. I know I'm really, really conniving and I'm a great charlatan mid-workout and I'm going to believe it. And then afterwards, like, why didn't I just do 10 by three minutes? Like I said, why did I think it'd be better? Because I didn't want to do that. Now- when I'm weak, that's what I do. When I'm strong, I know better. And I always know better until the moment, but historically, that would be mine that I am the most guilty of. I think my mom broke me of the blame game early on, but no one can break me of this. I, I use a combination of, of blame and change the deal. And, I, I, and it's funny, like, there's this thing that goes through my head every time I'm on a hill that like, don't make life decisions while you're at the near the top of an uphill, right? Like yeah. just don't do that because it's going to use, change the deal. It's going to use one of these mm -hmm. strategies. Me. Bracken, what about like you? you could use a, you, sounds like you could use a coach. Bracken really make you stick to the square. That's the problem, right? <laughs> and the, th really the issue is. is, is sometimes you're right in the middle of it. I might be on a terrain that's not allowing me to get the stimulus I want but if I pivot to a different desire for the workout, like the other day I was trying to do something closer to the high end of threshold, but it was so sloppy that instead of doing intervals, I switched to a 20 minute, just st straight grind through it. That was a logical pivot mid-workout. I wasn't going to get what I wanted out of it. Now I got a great stimulus out of it, but you do that once and you're more likely to trust yourself the next time and being able to like, keep a guardrail between the good pivots and just changing the deal for the sake of changing the deal, that muddies the waters. Mm. I well, do neither. I, mean, I think this also making adjustments is okay, right? Like yeah. you can like adapting for injury and sickness, and you guys have talked about it. It's not it's not making yourself feel better for not doing the work, right? When you really should be doing the work. Like that's what we're talking about, not like logical type of right. adjustment. But you're right. There is like a fine line that you get in between those two sometimes. We'll convince ourselves it is logical. <laughs> but you, Kirk, you said you don't do blame or change the deal. Uh, I don't do those things. But unless I'm injured or something's but like physically bothering me, changing the deal becomes 
rarely, but no, for me, it's the comparison to either previous things I've done or mm-hmm. others. My college teammates I follow on Strava, well, I don't feel great about that workout, but I know it's faster than they can do. So I'm going to be okay with it for today. Or I really need to be going two and a half hour long runs as I prep for Zumbro in April, but I'm going to go an hour and 20 because it is longer than I did last weekend. So it's like I will do the comparison thing to justify my decision or my performance for sure. And then make myself feel better about it and move on with my day without question. Um, and the reason so I wanted to say to about talk through this as an ego driven person, thing is that like, I, this is like, there's something called like a psychological immune system, right? Which you like you use to like, these are adaptive strategies to like maintain like, you know, healthy self-belief. Right. And so it's not like we're doing this because we're like idiots. We're doing this because we're trying to maintain it. And actually like the absence of some of these like cognitive strategies is actually a signal for depression. And so you need to like, it's just a question of like awareness, not like you're an idiot for using these. Your brain is trying to make yourself feel better. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that is not an, you know, you're not an idiot. You're not weak. It's not any of that. It's just an awareness that, Oh, that's what's happening. And it's allowing me to not change the behavior. Like, let me take a look at that as opposed to just stopping right there and saying, I did better than that guy. Like, Oh, does that, is there something I need to do differently as a result? Is that making me work less hard, not fulfill what I need to be doing? Like instead of using that easy out. Yeah. They're almost like medications, right? Like when prescribed properly, right? There's a reason they were there. It's people who over rely on it and then develop an issue with that. The reason I wanted to ask is mostly to outline, like, we're not here on our porcelain or our gold thrones, like sitting here, like porcelain speaking throne, to you from maybe. porcelain. I meant to say porcelain <laughs> throne, maybe porcelain <laughs> throne, uh, sitting here in some position of like, well, we're immune to this. We're not at uh, all. I don't know. Nobody probably is. So I just thought it was important for us to talk about our, the way we negotiate with ourselves because it exists. Even the expert Ryan, it exists. But being aware of it is step number one. That's why you're talking about Yeah, and those are the flags to say like, oh, okay, like I get what I'm doing and I understand what I'm doing. I'm not an idiot for doing it, but like, is it not getting me to the outcome that I'm looking? Is it getting in the way? And that's like really like, is it causing me to person that doesn't get things done? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the piece that is a good flag for somebody who genuinely might get something done or want to or have that desire. But it's like, okay, these are getting in the way. So so what is your answer? If um, you talk about blame, which you both mentioned, uh, I, th- I can think of, gosh, I can think of a dozen athletes currently. My stomach hurt. I had a tummy ache, so I didn't do it. Or I only did five minutes. Or my knee was a little goofy, and I just had a long day at work, and I decided not to. Uh, where's the line drawn? Because there'd be a point in which it can also be counterproductive. Like if I had a tummy ache, no matter how bad that in quotes tummy ache was, my ass would be working. I'd figure out a way to do something, right? Can't gra- reach for the stars, grab the moon, right? For sure. So like where does that all – like it gets a little complicated, right? Like the blame game. Do you have any like thoughts on all of that? More splitting the so, hairs? No, I mean I think it's really important. And like I think it's where – I think like – Okay, so let's say we recognize that we're using one of these strategies, right? 
and or maybe somebody else. Like it might require the supportive guidance of like a coach or a friend or a loved one that we might ask about, right? That be like, you know, uh, and it's a question of like, we should take it aside when you look in. This is like the real work, right? And so what I think that goes to is if we hear from others that we are using these or we start to recognize these flags, I think we have to like dive into like, what is the motivation that we have for that particular activity? And I'm not talking about like the level of motivation. I'm talking about the type of motivation, right? And so you just mentioned, you know, two different styles of motivation between yourself and the person who has a stomach, right? And, and I think what I want, I want to kind of give like some terms and some things around like what those differences are. I'm going to like use this idea of autonomous motivation um, versus controlled motivation. And so you've got autonomous motivation, which you've probably seen similar to like intrinsic motivation or like internalization. It's got this sense of agency and choice. Effectively, it's like, I want to do this. Okay. And then you've got controlled motivation, which is more like extrinsic motivation, kind of similar concepts. That's like, I have to do it. And this is primarily for like some sort of reward but it could be like prestige or status or trying to avoid some sort of punishment like shame or embarrassment. And like, but importantly, it's like contingent on the approval of others. Right. And so like the simple answer is like, you have two different styles of motivation for that particular activity. And that's why like you get a stomach ache and like, this is a part of who you are. You're not going to let that get in the way because you don't go to an indirect strategy, you know, in autonomous, you know, goes for that. Like for ultimate Frisbee, like I have autonomous motivation for ultimate Frisbee, right? I love it. I work hard for it. Like I play it multiple times per week for no other reason than enjoyment. And my life wouldn't be complete without it. Right. Mm. And like part of the, you know, like, and I know I need to work hard for ultimate to like play at the kind of level at the big tournaments that I want to. Um, and so that I love that it drives me and, and, and it's a nice excuse, but it's not like I need it. Right. But I do it no matter what. Um, but like for running and lifting, I have controlled motivation, right? Like I, like, I mean, I, you know, even though I like so many aspects of running, right? Like I feel more healthy. I feel more productive. I love hitting new times. I love like setting a good model for my kids. Like I need <clears throat> the external motivation to engage consistently and experience those benefits, right? Mm -hmm. And I spent years like not running or lifting in the off season, you know, because like, I didn't, it, it was, it's a control motivation. It was in the absence of what I needed to motivate me during that time. Right. And like, <clears throat> that's where like what Spartan races did for me. Um, and like, Kurt, that's how you helped me. Right. Like I recognize that running and lifting is contingent on some external pieces that I need that are also important to me, but like, I just get over it and I take the steps and I create the things that make running and lifting allow me to do it consistently. Right. And I get all those benefits I want. Right. But it's just like a sitting back in awareness. Right. Um, and like, I think it's okay to be honest and decide like what drives you. Right. There's not like a wrong or right. Like there's going to just, they just didn't need different supports or pushes or consequences that are aligned to the kind of motivation you have for that particular mm -hmm. activity. Um, was, so was, so I want to hiring. I'm like, it's wait time. It's not just a Wait time. <laughs> yeah. Well, was hiring a coach part of your strategy, knowing yourself in a sense, or was it not, was that not part of the decision or was it you a know, desire to get better? Yes. Um, 
I think it, it was a little bit of a mix of both. I think it was, it had some desire to get better. Um, but I also like, I did like I'd gone through and like seen the benefits and gains and it's almost like I, you know, I, I got the first date with the girl and I, you know, did okay in a, in a, in a couple Spartan races, like, uh, you know, and, but I was like, okay, now what? And I didn't have that, like, you know, um, what did I need next? And so I knew, I knew there was something missing and I really, I'd heard, I'd randomly run into a couple of y'all's podcasts about some stuff and I tried some of the workouts and I was like, oh, this is the kind of tired that I feel in the races that I'm not training for. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, this is great. So I don't know if, I don't know if I would call that like this great level of awareness that I had, but like it definitely resonates very strongly. So we have a Kirk who is just like internally driven after everything in life and will set whatever it needs to be aside to get it done. And he'll say mm -hmm. it and he'll do it. Just tell me what needs to be done. I'm going to get it done. Tell me what's expected. And he does it. Then you have someone on the other end of the spectrum who just hasn't yet found whatever that external motivation is to keep them accountable. And I'd say I sit in the middle where whatever I'm doing, I want more of. If I'm taking time off, I want to be lazier and I want to do more time off and more skipping workouts. But if I start running, I just want to run more because I love it. And if I add a double in, I'm going to be doubling five to seven times a week soon because the more I do of it, the more I want it. And I don't need anything. Like I'll sign up for a race in order to do the first week of training. And then after that, I quickly hit a point like, I don't care if I do the race or not. It served its purpose. I'm in it. I love this until I get derailed again. So we have three kind of different types just kind of sitting here. Can we talk strategies for each type? I guess Kirk doesn't need one <laughs> well, no. in this instance. No, of course I do. <clears throat> like for the person who can't find an, a motivation or those who need it short term in order to keep themselves reminded that they actually do self-drive when they're in rhythm, what do these two people type those types do to stay on track? Yeah. I, you know, and I think if somebody has like autonomous, you know, motivation, like they're going to resolve their dissonance through behavior change. So if they're not getting it done, they're going to be like, I'm not getting it done. And they're going to change their behavior. Right. And like, and actually like you're, you're less likely to even enter into that conflict because you're mm -hmm. not, that's what you, you started mentioning that earlier. Like you're not even going down that path because that's not even a possible option on your radar of possibility. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, that's called like authentic compensation, right? You change the behavior, you're committed to it. And I would just say, it's like, just being like, Oh, I'm not, maybe somebody can bring it to your awareness, but you're going to figure it out anyway. That's like a planning question. That's a logistics question. Like you're going to figure, move the pieces around to get what you want to do. Right. Um, and, and I think it's like, you, then you've got for controlled, like your, your go-to strategy is going to be these like indirect methods, the blame, the comparison, all those kinds of things. Right. That's going to be, you just need to know like that's your go-to. Right. And so like, it's called like a contingent compensation process. Right. So like we'll get, it's very vulnerable to excuses. Right. Um, because you mentioned like getting sympathy from others. Right. Like if you like are, to, if you're doing something because you get the approval of others and somebody gives you sympathy, for not doing it, you're mm -hmm. getting the same thing, right? That's the drug you're getting either way, but you can get that drug through sympathy or through like, hell yeah, you did a great workout, yeah. you know? Um, and like, you've probably seen this as coaches too, or like you've probably like highlighted maybe some sort of like inconsistency. Like you say you want to be X, 
but your actions are why. And you probably get like two different reactions, which is like, somebody's gonna be like, damn, you're right. Like I need to recommit, right? And like, or you see like mental gymnastics that are happening and like, you know, it's coming um, that like you get into and you get like insight into like for you as coaches, like, hey, here's where the motivation is coming from. Right. Um, and like, I don't even I think there's even like activities within it. Like you can even like go down like you could be like you really dig the long, slow runs. Right. But you hate the this fast, spicy stuff. Right. Or like it could be the other way around. Like for for autonomous, like you make a plan. Right. But like for like this control motivation it have you might have to be like okay i really like this aspect of you know one part of it or like um you know uh like for instance within teaching right i love teaching right this that's an autonomous motivation for teaching for me and i love but i don't love everything within it right i love the planning i love the delivery of it right um but i hate the grading Mm -hmm. okay so i just can't stand it and so like I've got autonomous motivation, one aspect, right? I don't need motivation. I just need to schedule the time and it'll get done. I'll make it happen. But um, controlled, I need to plan. Like I know I need to avoid these strategies and like, like I now go to like these kids don't read their feedback anyway. Why am I spending all this time on grading? And You know what I mean? Those types of things. Like, so what do I do is like I publicly announce to my students, like when I'm going to return the papers, right? And, um, <clears throat> you know, that puts like public account- accountability. So like, it's controlled, right? Which means it's dependent on extrinsic rewards, right? That's what's doing it. So I create an extrinsic reward of public accountability by saying like, hey, I'm going to give this back to you next Thursday. Y'all make sure I do it. Okay. Right. And um, like I manufacture like the punishment in some sense by not following through because I know I need it. Right. Um, And yet, so you could do it in a workout. It's like, hey, well, I, I can't do my fun stuff on Tuesday until I do my Monday work. Right. Or, you know, it could be, you know, I need to like, like Kirk, you know, during our like Frisbee season, you remember that like I, we didn't actually work together on a weekly basis during the Frisbee season because Mm -hmm. I didn't need it. But what, what I think I did need, I needed to report my long runs that I was still doing twice a week to try to like maintain that aerobic fitness through the Frisbee season. I needed to still report just those two workouts per week, but I reported it to him on like a monthly basis. Right. So we like, he was very adaptable and we created this system where, you know, I didn't need it for five days. I just need it for two because mm. these are the parts I'm not going to do. Mm. Yeah. That has a lot to do with you knowing yourself though, actually like learning from your tendencies and then taking action, let's say, I mean, Ryan came to me and said, all right, I care about Frisbee significantly more than my OCR at this juncture for sure here's the deal. He offered me, this is what I'll pay you for the next three months. This is what I want from you for the next three months. This is what you can expect from me for the next three months. And do we have a deal? And it was all to keep you in place. And I was like, yeah, we have a Mm. deal. Of course, that sounds fair on both ends. Ryan proactively checked in every month. I didn't even have to put him on my radar, but I, I mean, I'd have to check in on my end. And so it's just interesting hearing you talk through that, being like, well, I think the biggest thing that people are probably going to want to take away from today is one, like awareness of maybe their tendencies and then two, how to fix them. And so maybe you were like, okay, this would be a fail safe for me to get the work done. So it's just interesting because I'm hearing practice what you're preaching, so to speak, or applying your knowledge at least. So it doesn't matter. We all have these things, but then it's like, well, what specifically do we do with them? And obviously you just grab that situation to control. I mean, you told me what you needed 
knowing I didn't tell you what you needed. You told me. <laughs> that's not how the coaching thing goes normally, but that's how it went in that conversation. That's <laughs> self-awareness right there. Nice. Yeah, I, I, so I was letting Brandon Brackman was going to jump in there. But um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I. so I think it's like you have to come up with a motivation that's aligned with like your motivation for the activity, right? Or like rewards and consequences, right? So I needed like, because running long distance for me was controlled motivation. It's contingent on these rewards. I needed to put a report reward in place. I needed to have a race I was running for. I needed to have a coach that was going to be a part of it for me. And I know that I can actually continue this running and this work like in perpetuity, you know, as, as long as my body will let me, I know I, it feels like this could go on forever because it's sustainable because I've got an alignment between my like reward and punishment and my motivation mm -hmm. for the activity. Okay. So when I was doing this episode, the solo episode, there yeah. were a few people in my mind that I was talking to. And they are the people that have not yet found whatever reward or punishment or race or deal it is that they can make on paper or in their mind with me that outweighs their excuses when the moment arrives. They're basically the, the diet start Monday type person. I'm going to do this workout at 10 p.m. when I get home from work, no matter what. I'm going to do my long run Saturday, no matter how late Friday gets. I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to do this here. Here are my pre-existing parameters and rules. But when I get there, whatever I come up with still is not outweighed by what we talked about originally. So maybe this isn't a black and white answer, which it's psychology. It rarely is. But... <laughs> Where do you start with someone who hasn't yet found something powerful enough to override their learned behaviors of blame or changing the deal, whatever it is? How, how do you start them down the road of finding something that actually cuts through? So I, I would – historical precedent is always going to be the best thing, right? So mm -hmm. like in, in areas outside of running, what are the things that get you to do the things that you want to do in life, right? And like, we've all got things that we love to do. We've all got like areas. And it's interesting because you talk about like, you know, the, the, your experience with like both students and athletes, like they might have autonomous, mo like motivation, but not in the things that you were working with them on. Correct. Right. They could, they had other things in their life. Like they might have had students that like really value sports or music or acting or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And like, they totally had autonomous motivation in that. Right. So it's not, I think you, that's where it's like, it's not like, I would say it's not necessarily person to person as much as even within person, there's all these different kind of elements of, of their life, right? So like it may, there's two parts of it. They're like, it may be that running's not their thing and they're not ready for it to be. So it's like either I need to change my attitude that like I should expect myself to do this. And like, this isn't that important to me, which is also okay, right? Um, unless, unless it's like, no, I need to do it. I need to find the motivation. Okay, what's worked for you in the past? Where are the areas where you have, you have to get something done. You have, you know, everybody's got things they don't want to do all the time. You have controlled motivation to like pay taxes, right? You have controlled motivation to, you know, do, you know, all these different things, you know, to, to plug your show or things like that, right? Like those are not like things you're just like driven or to plug your workouts or something. Like you're not like driven intrinsically to do, but like, you know, that like it, it's, it's worth it for the things that you set up for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are areas in your life where you get things done 
when you don't have autonomous motivation and what has worked in those areas. Use historical precedent. For me, it's, it's, it's like, you know, public pieces happen to be my strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, I'll make it public when I, you know, this is what I commit to, right? And that, that works for me um, because like the thought of, you know, disappointing or, you know, shame or things like that is like a powerful enough driver where it overcomes, you know, the desire to be lazy. I mean, that was me calling or texting Kirk on the way to my 5k time trial. I went through a couple of years where I had to do that because I would change the deal. I'd get to 3k or 4k and be like, I found out what I need to find out. I know what my pace is, whether I finish it or not is immaterial. I know, but that's not the point. The point was I needed to finish the task. And so I would have to text Kirk and call him back. Hey, I'm heading to the cross country course to run a 5k. And he said, all right, report back with your time. And that was all it took because then at 3k or 4k, there was a reason why my logic wouldn't hold up because I would have to then re-explain my logic to him afterwards outside of the moment where now the light's on and it's glaring and there's nowhere to hide. And it's, you'd hear him say, well, that was dumb. Why didn't you just finish the final K? Because like, it wouldn't have made sense outside of the moment. So like, I understand that, that public version mm-hmm. of that. And I do really like the idea that very few pay- people fail in every area of their life. Like even people who won't study, won't go to work, won't whatever, they might be able to pull an all-nighter playing a video game. Yeah, that right? takes a level of toughness and endurance and focus and tenacity that even though like your parents and your loved ones might frown upon that or scoff at it, it shows that you have it somewhere. So I do like, really like that idea that find what works for you in whatever area works and then transcribe it over. But then also in areas that you don't have that, like, like there are, everybody does things they don't want to do. And there's a reason that they do them and they just need to like draw upon so I think it's like a process as a coach to go through and say, like, where are areas where I do things, even though I don't necessarily feel like autonomous about it? Right. Mm-hmm. Where are these controlled motivation aspects of my life? And like, what are the things that help me get done? Maybe it's financial rewards. Right. Are the things that drive it be like, OK, well, like, you know, set up financial rewards for the thing that you're trying to do where you need the controlled motivation. You know, um, maybe it's you know, there's a variety of other any kind of reward or punishment you can set up be like what works in these other areas what's driving me and try to have that translate to the thing you're actually really want to do but you need that external source like you need aligned motivation right you need like that uh you don't have this like authentic kind of side of things uh for it so you need a contingent source of motivation so create it from other aspects at work um obviously you're the expert here but i'm wondering if something would be valuable for our listeners um and could you remind me and them, you labeled the four main, the four that seem to most people would fall into. Could you label them again if things aren't going to be getting yeah. done? So we've got blame, minimize or trivialize, compare favorably, usually, and then change the deal. Okay. So those are the main four. You said there's others, and I'm sure there's you know some blending as well at times. But would it be beneficial to go one by one through all four and discuss like, examples or strategies or do they all end up with some version of the same answer i guess is what i'm asking yeah what, I, it's what do you I think? think your choice of strategy 
is less important than the fact that you're using any of these strategies in the first place. Mm. So like, okay. I, it, it's more about like, okay, I recognize I'm using a strategy. So therefore I need to understand that I have some sort of like, you know, the, the, it's more, I recognize it's controlled motivation, right? So I need, I can't just say I want to do running. I need an extrinsic reward or punishment in order to maintain that, right? So I think it's like, if I'm using, it just means that like, this isn't an autonomous behavior for me. Okay. Or even within running, this is not an autonomous activity. I don't like it, but I know it's important. I want to do it. I want to make it more likely that it's sustainable, that I, when I run into a barrier, I'm going to overcome it because I have a high enough level threshold of motivation to overcome it. Right. Um, where autonomous, you, there's, your threshold's so high, you never even run into an issue. Right. But if your threshold is like just a little bit lower and like the barriers will become, you know, bigger deals for you, raise the motivation by like putting in a line source of like reward and something like that within it. Right. So I think it's just like, I think it's great to, to clarify. It's like, am I using any strategy? Right. And like, you know, and I think like you can go through and say like, okay, what are the times where I haven't been able to keep up with my workouts? Right. And what are the reasons? Right. And like, what are the things I told myself in those moments that I made those decisions? Mm-hmm. And it's like, do they sound like any of those direct ways? Right. So if the answer is yes, which likely if you're not getting it done, the answer is going to be yes. Right. So it kind of like, you're almost like, okay, let's get to step two. Right. Which is like, okay, like, how do I feel when I'm engaging in these activities? Activities? Am I trying to convince myself? Am I truly loving it? Like if I'm trying to convince myself, I'm, it's more likely anyway, because I'm using these indirect methods. Right. But then like, okay, cool. Like accept it. Just no problem. This is what's happening. And then I would say like, identify the contingent reward that you need that motivates you, that is motivating you in other aspects of life. So like recognize it, be like, all right, cool. This isn't going to work. I'm not autonomous in this area. What do I need? And just get over the fact that you need a reward. And like, which it sounds like a three-year-old, right? But like, at, you know, even though like I need my cake and my piece of candy in order to do this thing, but like, that's cool. Accept it. Give yourself the candy, create the candy. So can you appease me then with specifics? Um, like if we walk through each of these and said like, okay, say the, the blame game. Well, this is what happens to me. I'll just give you an example and you tell me what you would tell that person or suggest. Like they got to bring their kids to daycare, the school in the morning. And so their window to work out isn't really long enough. And then they go to work and they get caught up with the kids after and they end up squeezing in a half an hour on the treadmill when really they should have been at the track doing intervals in the morning. And they didn't have enough time and they put everybody else first, for example, work, kids, everything. But they have a half marathon coming up and a half an hour on the treadmill is not going to cut it, right? Like you're just, you're going to fall short and be unsatisfied with your result. Like just take a simple example like that. There's my kids, my job. I didn't have enough time. It's dark in the morning. So now I'm not comfortable running outside. All I hear that one a good bit right now. Like, what would you say to that? Like, how would you dissect that? And be like, if you were that person, like, what would you do? Yeah. What's funny is that if they're bringing an excuse like they're like that, then it's like it's the working out. They've, they're, they're, they're expressing a priority system. So yep. I think it's it's either you can move them towards acceptance. Be like, that's cool. Like you sh- that's OK that you're prioritizing everybody else's needs. And here is the implication. 
And as long as those are aligned, that's actually not necessarily a bad thing because then there's the, there's no more need for excuses because mm. this is just how it is. Right. Um, and I think it's like, now, if you don't like that, if you really want to do something different, then you're going to have to recognize that you're using this to like make it okay that you're not doing it. So you need to, you need to change your expectations and say, you're not going to run all the time. You shouldn't do this race. You should plan for something that fits within the system of priorities that you want to do. Right. So change the attitude towards it or like, um, you know, you're using an excuse. So like give yourself, a, you know, some sort of different reward. Like there's a legit, if it was autonomous, they'd figure it out. Right. Then, then it's a planning conversation you can have a problem solving. But if it's like the reward, I think you need to change the goal or change the motivation. And it's fine to be like, cool. Like you can't do an ultra. You can't do a marathon with the training you have available. That's fine. This is the stage in life you're in. Let's set our different goal. So you don't have to stop making these excuses. We're actually just like your life aligns with what you want to do. It's Going funny, off but, Kirk's um, example there, oh, finish that off, Kirk. Well, no, I was going to say the word acceptance never would have even entered. I wouldn't have even entertained that side of this conversation. That's how brickheaded I am. I would have <laughs> been like, acceptance, like, no, like, you're going to get it done instead of going back and maybe just being kind and then understanding that you change expectations or whatever it may be. I think what I was looking for is like the hard, fast, like, well, your priorities aren't in line and you can Uber your kids to school. So you have the time in the more like, there'd be like some, like, you know, mm -hmm. as men as cliche as they say, and I don't know how true this is. It's like, you find a problem, you find a solution, right? It's not always that simple, but I'm like, I think through all these, I have these made up scenarios in my head. Like I could propose to you cause I've heard a million of them over the years. And for me, it always yeah. comes down to like, for me, it always feels like it comes down to time allowing other things to take up your time versus taking the time, right? That's the, the blame thing is what I hear more than anything. And the blame is time. And so I don't, I don't know. I just think it's funny that acceptance never entered my brain. I feel like a pud. <laughs> That's it. That's all I want to say. <laughs> I found it very interesting hearing him talk about the acceptance piece, because what it highlighted is your issue. I initially thought, yeah, I keep hearing that too. Like the dark, it's too dark. I'm not, I don't feel comfortable running at this at this time Valley. of day. And, and it is, but then like the conversation goes, all right, so then we're going to have to, uh, we're gonna have to join a gym. Like, well, I don't have time to get out of the house or I don't want to do that. Or I don't like running in front of other people. It's like, okay, well then you're going to have to get a treadmill. Well, I don't want to commit to that. Right. You know, it's like, it leads to one and the other where I think some people shy away from prescribing exactly what they need like the demanding that the, the the email we get like hey i'm interested if you can coach me I have a weird situation i'm training for an ultra but a hundred percent of my work must be done in my basement on my treadmill can you work with that and i think a lot of people shy away from making that like demonstrative statement and yet a hundred percent of the time that is my favorite workout plan to build because it's so confining that it's freeing. It's like, we can't do all the things we'd like to do. So now let's just do every possible thing we can do in this room. And so we, true. by having such like confining protocol, you can be so creative. Like it, the distractions are gone. Now there's only this. Let's do everything we can do with that. Let's get so far outside the box in this box. But athletes, for some reason, I think sometimes shy away from 
offending others with their demands and accepting this is my problem. Yeah. Here's what I need. That can go a long way to get you out of the, well, this doesn't work, but that won't. And this won't like forget what won't work. What will and yeah, how can we I mean, live in that box? I think part of your part of like as a coach, like I think you're trying to like bring people into alignment to accomplish their goals. Yeah. And like part of that might be like different strategies that make them more likely to be successful at their goals. And part of that might be what you're willing to prioritize, which is OK, is going to get you to a different goal. Right. And I think your job is to highlight the inconsistency and actually like a ton of the research on cognitive dissonance. It's, like it's really powerful to raise the inconsistency and then raise the goal and like have them figure it out from there. Mm. And your job is not to solve it, but to say like, here are the two things that are there. So like as an individual, I can say like, I'm doing this, but like I say I want to do this. I've got to either change one of these two, whether I change like the way that my strategies or I change the goal and be like realistic, be like, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Yeah, I like Your that. goal is alignment, not necessarily like, immediate, like success may look different for a lot of different people that you coach. And it may be my success is in a race and success is a lot. I, I, I don't, I can't speak for Kirk or for you guys, but one of my biggest frustrations is when athletes try to accommodate me too much. It makes it very (laughs) difficult. It's like when you're with your wife or your husband or whoever, and they're like, what they're like, I'm hungry. And you say, what do you want to eat? And they're like, I don't know. Choose what you think I'd want. Like, well, that puts me in an impossible situation because there's a whole <laughs> litany of foods I could make, but the odds that it fits your box is low. And it's the same thing with an athlete who says, I want to run a 50K. I trust you. It's like, thanks for trusting me, but what do you want? What do you respond? But listen, I just, I'm reaching out to you because you are the expert. Tell me, I'll run the volume you tell me. I'll run where. Like, that's harder on me. And it's less enjoyable because now I'm just going to have to make my best guess. And then we're going to have to cycle closer and closer to the target through trial and error. Rather than you telling me, this is what I need, even if it's wrong, we can start there and be specific there. And demanding something is actually sometimes, oftentimes, better for the people around you. I experience the same thing. Something I don't think about much, but I appreciate it. You're not doing us favors Mm -hmm. when you say, oh, I just trust you, whatever. Well, it's not bad. A lot of people start there. They don't know enough. Maybe they don't feel confident enough in knowing themselves or which happens often, but I find the relationship and the training gets more successful. Honestly, the more parameters are put on us as coaches by the athletes themselves, which is interesting. Self-awareness. So would your answer then be, let's say uh, Bracken is a change the deal kind of guy. And I said, all right, it's like nine out of 10 workouts. He's going to go eight miles and he goes six. He's going to do 12 reps and he does eight. He's going to run at this pace and he runs at that pace. He changes the deal all the time. He shows up. He does it. His alarm goes off at six. He's in his shoes at 630 and he does it. But he changes the deal three out of four times. Like, would your answer still be the same thing? Like the acceptance or the... Yeah, I think it's just any any of these we revolve and go back and forth between strategies and it's it's like and it's it's you need to either say oh i'm changing the deal and therefore i need to make sure that i commit to somebody specifically that this is what i'm supposed to do this specific number ahead of time right um and so it's the commitment on the specifics might be more helpful for like the change the deal type of thing right Mm -hmm. um but even just like raising that inconsistency, the fact that like, man, I'm doing eight and I'm doing six. Like, why am I changing the deal? 
and like, when am I changing the deal? When am I allowing this to happen? Um, I think then you can go back to like either the rewards or like, hey, I'm a person that's going to do six and this is going to get me to this part of a goal. Am I okay with that? I am okay with that. This is where I'm going to go. And in my basement, you go right ahead. I'm curious what's in your basement. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot. In the corner of my basement in our workout room, I have four different Allen wrenches, a crescent wrench, and a a, uh, a Phillips head screwdriver. And they're sitting there because over time with my machines, I've had workouts disrupted because I'm in the middle of something and something starts to wiggle or something needs to be adjusted. And I get off the treadmill or I get off the spin bike or the, or the, the console dies on the rower and I have to go search and find the tool. And then it's the wrong size. And I go back and grab a different size. And eventually I have my whole case out and eventually it's screw it. The workout's done. So I have the exact sizes I need sitting within four paces of any machine I have so that I have the minimum delay in the workout when my known issue arises. And it seems like every athlete or human needs to build up their mental toolbox that they have at their disposal, knowing that when this arises, here is how I counter changing the deal or here's how I counter my blame and I know it's here and I just reach for it right away rather than having to confront it over the course of the next 24 hours yeah there's like a barrier to entry that you're reducing that you're eliminating that like takes away that a go-to excuse 100 Mm -hmm. because it's so frustrating to have to search for that thing and identify what could I do and some upfront pondering and bouncing ideas off people like yourself or experts might shortcut that process. So maybe people realize it in the moment sometimes and just don't know what to do about it. And so I'll get to it later. Yeah. yeah. I'm stuck on so the that's fact that you have stuff Kirk. break on you that often. Like I haven't put a tool to my equipment in years. Like what do you do in your stuff? That's what I actually <laughs> want to know about your basement. At this I have point. a spin like, bike in his crap where the handlebars loosen like okay. once a week. Okay. But he's working out harder than you are, Kurt. He must be. The, it, it's, you know how it is, though. Like your console battery on your assault bike or your rower doesn't die until you're time trialing. Or your treadmill doesn't loosen up and start squeaking until you're about to start a big interval session. It's just Maybe that's not the truth, but it seems like it's Murphy's Law. Like Not only can it happen and will it happen, it's going to happen at the most inopportune time. So maybe, no, it doesn't break that often, but when it does, okay. All right. I get this little grin like, I've got that Allen wrench right here. <laughs> Proud of you. You know, and it's interesting too, like one, once you've like figured some of that stuff out, right? Like once you actually, and that's why it was really like when you're talking about building a habit, right? Just like take a, take a week of like no excuses. You actually like get the benefits of cognitive dissonance in your favor once you start doing it, mm-hmm. Right. Because there's like this whole like area of the thing called like effort justification, right? And so you actually like once you're once you make the choice to do that and like not use the excuses, then you have to start to like justifying your effort, right? And so it actually like your your mental gymnastics go in favor, and the, the end result is you're like I love this stuff even more. The thing mm-hmm. that you chose and you put that much work into, right? And like you start a routine, like and like you reduce like the cognitive effort by because this is just what I do. I don't have to think about it. I just get to do it, right? Um, and so it's like it becomes then it becomes even more sustainable to barriers and things like that. Like once you've like started down that path, which it's kind of a, it can be really productive. It's not dissonance is 
not just a negative getting your way. I just talked about this with an athlete yesterday, but the concept that in high rocks, there are so many forms of burpee broad jumps and they're so specific to your body type, your flexibility, your mobility, your muscle fiber type, how you're going to approach that. Your form is dictated by how you are built. But how do you figure out which one is which? And generally, the process has become with me, let's do like 50 to 100 every day for like a week or two. And eventually, you're just going to get tired throughout these reps and try different things until one day you're like, oh, that was easier that way. Like I can't necessarily get you there faster than a thousand reps will. You're just going to self-identify. And that's that thought process behind that. Just do it for a week, man. Just like treat every fact as an excuse for one week. And over the course of those reps, you're just going to start figuring out your triggers and your responses and your common thoughts that you have. Yeah. And and then you just, yeah. And maybe you could tell us a bunch of things or I could try, but if you just do it for a week, you're going to, every time you write it down, you're going to see your trends. Yeah. And you asked about like, which like strategies do I use? Like I will use all of those strategies at different times and I'll hear it come up. And like, I just get a little smile and be like, ah, there it is. Like, all right, like what's, what's going to happen next, you know? Um, But either, I I just don't think we're immune from it. So, you know, it's coming up. Uh, I want to muddy the waters for a second. Okay. Um, I often use the phrase athlete intuition with the athletes that I coach. Like, I trust your athlete intuition with your ankle. It's being testy. I trust your judgment this week. I So I often say, like, you know yourself better than I do. Athlete intuition plays into this for you. But it gets blurry, I think, when you start to claim intuition or tell yourself that is the decision maker when... Let's say you go out for your eight-mile recovery run and your legs are tired and your athlete intuition tells you you need to go shorter today and you don't get your mileage in. Your athlete intuition tells you that this is not going to be productive anymore because I'm fading on my pacing for my reps and I'm just going to pull it to save my ego. Is there a whole side of that? Is It's all probably intertwined with any of that. One, is that a poor strategy? in a situation where like somebody had a hamstring issue pop up last week. And I said, I can't feel what you're feeling. I trust your intuition, for example, or being sick or whatever. Um, that's a tricky thing. Was the athlete intuition correct? Cause they were so tired on their long run. Like I can't get two hours today. Like it's going to be counterproductive, even though I believe that's a very pivotal time to hit. And they cut it at 75 because they were so tired. It made the most sense to them. Am I like barking up a tree not worth barking like barking at or like are, is that no, any part of this? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, what do you make of that? You know, it's interesting. I think you mentioned. It. I think you might have mentioned something even like maybe a couple of weeks ago or something like that about how you had gone out for a run post COVID <laughs> and it was like awful for you, right? Like you didn't listen to that and it backfired on you I probably did, because correct. you like to think of yourself as somebody who's immune to excuses, right? hundred um, percent. And it was terrible. I should have listened. Right. I knew it. So I, I, that's a great question. Cause man, that is such a gray area, right? I, I think this, this, it, you need to put a step in between the thought and the decision. Right. And I think that the thought that intermediary step is what will help you say like, 
of course you're feeling bad when you're coming back from something. Of course, something does have a bit of hurt, right? But if I create pre-existing guidelines, like before the run or before the workout to say, these are the things where if they are popping up, I'm going to listen to it, right? These are the things. And whether that's something you worked out ahead of time or things like that, but it's like ahead of time or in the middle, be like, okay, my body's telling me that the demons are saying I should stop. It's hurting. I don't want to do it. Right. But like, is that my normal set or is this something different and new that I should listen to? Um, and I think it's just, you're not going to eliminate it, but as long as you've, you talk about the difference of like being intentional about something, I feel like that makes it an intentional decision rather than a reactionary decision. And just that shift, I think will allow you won't get it right every time, but I think you'll get more accurate if this is a, I need to stop or I'm making like I'm using this as a, you know, a strategy, an indirect strategy because I don't want to do the workout in the first place kind of thing. Right. And so, so you're saying I think just given it's like. So you're saying like recognize like making the decision before your first step sometimes like these are the decisions that will be that it's already made if this arises or could you still be using like excuse strategy? Making the criteria for the decision making, you know, okay. like making the criteria where like, if I am running, if my heart rate is at this pace, if, you know, my pace is this piece, if this, if my leg is feeling this specific thing, whatever it is, and like, I know that's not good for it. then like, those are ones that are less excuse. But even if you don't do those in the moment, just like, is this an excuse or is this a justified? Because gosh, that is a great, it's a great question because I think there's no hard and fast answer and you're going to get it wrong, but it's, it's a question of where would you rather make a mistake? Would you rather get a mistake and like push yourself past what's healthy or would you rather make a mistake, you know, uh, where you give up too easily. And so, um, you're going to make a mistake one way or the other more of the time. And so if you arrange that ahead of time and set that criteria, you at least allow like, here's where this is my acceptable level. Of this mistake. right here mm. is why. Kirk and I still believe it's important to journal your workouts. Yes. And people will say, I have Strava. My watch sends it to Strava before I'm even in the car. It's like, yes, it does. And you have a log of it. But what it does is it's already up there. It reduces your likelihood of making any necessary addition to that workout. Whereas if you have to sit down in paper and pencil and write down 38 minutes, 5.74 miles, you're more likely to say cut it short because hamstring felt weird. Now, journaling is not the end-all be-all, but there's a reason so many people recommend journaling across the board for so many different facets of your life is because it forces you to look at things. Even if it's subjectively, you're still going to look at it subjectively every day. And when you reread it, it gets a little bit more objective. And so, in that moment, yeah, it's a sample size of one, but now next week I have a sample size of seven and the week after that it's 14. And I think a lot of these things, we start with big interventions and we reduce over time, but it's preceded by an even bigger body of work looking at what interventions are even needed. So that doesn't solve Kirk's problem of someone's hamstring hurt. And I wasn't sure if I could keep going or not. But if you write about that, every time it happens, eventually you take a look at the next day. I was fine. I hit a quality day the next day, probably could have gone 10 minutes longer. And then you start developing your little tricks to keep you out on the trail longer during that time. But writing things down as old fashioned as it is, 
still is around for a reason. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I 100% agree with that. And that makes a big difference because that you talk about like, what is a coach's job is raising the inconsistency. That is like pointing to you at an inconsistency and making it be immediately available in your mind, which demonstratively works, right? So it's like 100% on board with that. And then, you know, Kirk, you talk about like, is athlete intuition, like athlete intuition without awareness is probably less effective. Athlete aware, you know, athlete intuition plus awareness of like your vulnerability and susceptibility and strategies. Then yes, I would advocate for that. You know, I didn't think there would be a like a very easy, straightforward answer because I'm like battling with that myself. <laughs> you know, like talking myself through my own intuition and decision making, and I can't really decide what the driving force is there because I think some part of that could be excuse making. Um, okay, so really, what <clears throat> what it comes down to. With any of your, excuse me, <clears throat> what it comes down to with like any of those four is it all boils down to the same thing. It boils down to what? Awareness that the situation is happening. So identifying, right? So being aware of what and then coming up with your, so now that you recognize it when it happens, like, okay, aha, I'm home from work. I'm tired and I'm hungry. I'm going to eat dinner and then I'm not going to feel like running afterwards and then it's going to be 930. Like, okay, so I'm aware that's my problem. But then having that strategy for it being, I'm going to have a snack at 3 p.m. even though I'm not hungry right now and I'll get home and I won't be hungry. Like it's just coming up with the actionable plan. But awareness is the only first step, right? Like having a hard conversation with yourself and understanding like this is me. That's okay. We all have our things, but then what to do with it, right? So like really dissecting your tendencies and making yourself aware of what they are and then your plan, right? Is it that simple? Yeah, and I mean, I think people want to believe that they're intrinsically motivated to do the things that they're doing. Like it, it feels like a, like a loss or a weakness to say like, I'm motivated by rewards or shame or public recognition or prestige or anything like that. Right. Like, but that's fine. Like that, if it, that's what works. So I think it's both awareness that you're doing it and then awareness that you may need these things to be effective and sustainable at what you do. So it's like two levels of awareness. And then the strategy that, you know, matches the like type of motivation you have for that particular activity with like what you need. You do need a piece of candy to motivate yourself because I don't like this activity that much. So I need something and I'm just going to be okay with the fact that this seems like a, a simplistic strategy and I'm just playing games and all this stuff like that. Like I, I should just be internally motivated to do all these things. No, you need it. I did the dumbest looking workout this week. I did not the workout itself. I did 22 by 400, but throughout the workout, I had four pairs of shoes lying on the floor and I just split it up into couplets or into, uh, into sets. And every five I switched shoes. I had to get the yes. shoe change done in there you go. a 45 second rest period. There were no, it wasn't like five on take an extra two. I just had to change it because when I was testing super shoes, I realized that I had better workouts than if I did <laughs> The whole workout in the best super shoe. And it's so dumb. It. And Lisa comes down in the basement really and just like dumb. rolls her eyes at me. But I only have to That's get your five. Candy. Yeah. Shoes are your candy, Bracken. I yeah, love it. I mean, I have 32 pairs of shoes sitting in my basement. Why not use them? I don't get to do it on race day, but I'm not doing interval work on race day. And it's dumb. It is. I understand that. But it's effective. Like we all can have mm. a version of that. And hopefully... 
I can wean myself of that. Next time, three pairs of shoes. You know, like let's get tougher. Or you don't. Or you don't, Bracken, right? Or you, like, don't. I think or you buy more I, shoes. Or like, I mean, but here's the thing is that like you, I think your statement there of like, you get tougher, like maybe you get more used to it, but I don't think that there it's a level of like toughness and like just sucking it up that you shouldn't need these rewards. And I think that's what a lot of people battle with hmm. is that I shouldn't have to have these rewards. It's not toughness to have an activity that you may want to accomplish, but you need additional sources of motivation that are aligned with the reason why you're doing it, right? Like how you feel about that activity. Like it's not tougher. It's just smarter, you know? Um, So like, but I really appreciate you saying that because it is, you highlighted like the struggle that like will keep people from being like, I need damn shoes to work out, right? Like Mm -hmm. to make myself do. And yet I tell myself that (laughs) I will, I, I, I get energy from placing the candy next to me and not eating it. Like having the shoe there and saying, I get to change in one round and getting to that round and staring at the shoe and saying, I don't need you for two more. Like it makes me actually feel tough. Yeah. Even though I'm clearly not because I'm changing every five, you know, like more, most people would just get it done. It doesn't matter to me. Like that's my game. I tell myself I'm tougher because I didn't need that shoe this round. And so I understand what you're saying. And yet I'm also okay with pulling the wool over my own eyes willfully. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe Kirk, you have to, uh, you know, for the last, like, you know, if you don't, you know, get under a certain time or you don't get to like take your shirt off for a workout or something like that until the last, like four Talk laps. Talk about motivating. Like that, right? no, <laughs> I know Kirk's motivation. Whenever he's not enjoying a run anymore, he just drops me and then he can finish his run. That seems to be in my experience, the way Kirk works. <laughs> It's one of those things where if it, if you're starting to get dulled into pain, you just gotta, you gotta like sink your teeth into it a little harder, right? That's always what it is. When a run sucks, you have two options: either slow down or you speed up. But stay. you know how that is. We have the discussion. Right. You cannot possibly maintain this any longer. It's really interesting. It goes to show how nuanced this is, doesn't it? It yeah. really does. That's so funny. I. I think like <clears throat> I'm sure you have more actionable items than I could ever think of but for me I'm thinking like okay if I'm a listener and I'm hearing this like I want some tangibility here like how would I be what would be a good way to identify would it be as simple as well a log would be very helpful but to go back whether it's your Strava or your watch write it down on a calendar see where you hit your workouts where you didn't start I- remembering and identifying like what actually has happened to you in the past you go and you're like, oh, yeah, I totally, I run five days a week. And then you go look at your log and you've averaged three and a half days a week for the last six weeks. But you tell yourself you're a five-day-a-week runner and you go, okay, well, where did things get in the way? I think like going back and taking an objective look at what your history has told you with your workouts. So being able to go through a workout log, ideally written, Strava's fine. I use the private notes on Strava now, so I count it. But like, ah. nonetheless... Is that like, that would have to be my starting point. Yeah. I'm sure I could dissect it more, but I think you would almost have to be as objective at, or like as thorough as like walking backwards through the last multiple weeks or months and identifying what or if went wrong or didn't go to your liking and then realizing your tendencies. I don't know if it'll be as clear for some people. Like, what would you suggest yeah. to identify? How do you identify? I think what there's, I'm there's like at? two different ways that you can identify, right? So like you've got... I would say you can think through the times you haven't been able to keep up with your workout, right? And I would say, you know, go through and like write down what were the reasons, right? 
And I think like having that written form that you talk, whether it's in the notes that you're talking about or, or in a journal that's separate for it, right? And like, what are the things you told yourself in the moment about why you made the decision? Now, you got to also be careful because like memory, we'll remember different things like to make ourselves feel better afterwards. So like you do need to do it in the moment. Um, and so, you know, and so you write down like, why am I not doing it? Like, what, why did I make the decision? Right. And did it sound like any of these indirect ways is, does it sound like blame? Does it sound like minimizing? Does it sound like comparing or does it sound like changing the deal? Okay. And then I think it's like, you, if you do, I think it's worthwhile on every workout to like ask yourself the questions about how you feel when you're engaging the training. So write down, like, as I'm thinking about training, like, I don't feel like doing this. Like, this feels awful, right? Like, I think about when I like step onto a Frisbee field and I'm like tying up my cleats and I am like, like a little kid and I, and I'm so excited and I spend two hours not thinking about a thing, right? It's the only time in my life that I really never think about anything else. And it's beautiful, right? And then I think about when I'm putting on my shoes to go work out and I'm like, all right, well, like, what's, what am I convincing myself of, right? And like, there is some convincing and like, that is okay. But like, if you find, if you write down these strategies and you see a pattern where you're convincing, motivating yourself type of thing, then like, more likely you're going to be like, it's this contingent kind of style of motivation, right? And some aspects are dri driven by like controlled motivation, so which is fine, accept it, right? And then like, then it's like, as I see those journals, then make a plan that's like complementary to like the motivation style, which I went into it, right? So like, that's when the plan is made of what drives me. So you can almost have like a third journal there where it's like, what are the things that have driven me to workouts? What's been successful? Do I need my shoes? Do I need my shirt off? Do I need whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Like, do I need public accountability? Like, what are the things that work? And then like tie those three things in together to really come up with I like following. That. Yeah. Um, so I want to spend just a small amount of time talking about like diversifying and your emotional investment into running, like just to, as an end cap, but I don't want to leave anything on the table with all of this that we haven't chatted about yet. So I don't know what topics or bullet points Bracken you wanted to ask about or Ryan, if you had anything else that should be said. Um, well, I have one before we just talk about that item and I don't know if it's even worth addressing, but I do want to hear yours first before I say a word. No, I mean, I think, you know, it's, that is a lot of the main things. I actually just got like smacked in the face with this, like last night, the difference between these two where, so my, you know, my son plays baseball, right. And like, he loved baseball and like that kid will have, talk about autonomous, right. He will practice every day of the week, go out and hit, do all the things, the little things when nobody's watching, like he will do all the things. Right. And like, he's had hard moments where he's pushed through. It's like sports are beautiful for like learning resiliency. Right. And like pushing through those hard moments. And so like when we were talking about his troubles with school, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, um, Camden, like I've seen you do hard things. And he said to me, it was so perfect for this coming up. He's like, yeah, but I wanted to do those things. This is something I didn't want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And like I was like, oh, golly. Right. Like and he just, you know, it wasn't in for it. Didn't want to do it kind of thing. It was just. It really just like, I think it applies to so many other things in your life that I feel like this is just sports are a nice way of learning this about yourself. But I would just say like the last thing I would add is that think about how this applies in all areas of your life. You talk about a person who gets things done and person who doesn't get things done in sports. But I think this, there's more general applications for this that I think it'd be worthwhile of 
you could hear these excuses coming up in any arena in your life. And it's worth recognizing and going through a similar kind of process. I couldn't agree more. So my final question maybe is the first question along the line, but it's to the, it's, it's maybe to the loved ones or the training partners of them. It's Mm -hmm. how do you get someone to accept that they're in need of these interventions? Like we we've been speaking to the people who are sitting there like, I keep blank. How do you get someone to see that they keep blank? And I know this is a deep question. Like they, there are support groups for people of, of, of family members of addicts or family members of abuser. Like getting people to accept it is a huge issue. But in the exercise capacity, is it any different? Is that still the biggest challenge? Yeah. Like how do you convince someone you're working with or training with that they're an excuse maker. They use blame. They're always changing the deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, the research is going to tell you the most effective strategy is raising the inconsistency. Right. Um, but I think at a certain now, point, some people are going to hear that always this- and hear like intensifying the inconsistency you're meaning bringing to their consciousness. Yeah. Bring awareness to raise the Thank issue. You. Thank you. So I would say bringing awareness to the issue, right? At a certain point, the motivation for that particular activity will need to shift because of other things that happen in the life. You're talking about like addiction, right? And like at a certain point, the negative pieces start outweighing the positive pieces. But until that point hits where that source of motivation. So like it's an like you could say like, you know, not drinking would be like an extrinsically motivated or like, you know, kind of this controlled motivation. Right. And until the ratio of behaviors changes to the point where it now you're motivated for it, you've, it may be by no desire of your own, but the, you know, the balance of bad and good has shifted to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's the, the, the goal, the loved ones is really to like bring awareness to the raise. Here's what I hear your goal is. Here's what I see the actions are. And there's some differences, right? And like, and like, here are the different things that I'm hearing that you're saying that are not actually changing your behavior, but they're allowing you to continue with not changing behavior, right? Now that, that may be a difficult conversation and you, and somebody who already starts justifying is probably just going to like turn up the volume on those justifications, Mm -hmm. but like it's, that's the step. And if they're not ready to hear that, then it's going to have to be you need to get to a point where the pluses and minuses motivate you as an individual. Would how somebody reacts absolutely uh, speak to where they're at with everything? As you said, yeah. athlete A may intensify yeah. and just to double down. And then somebody else is that is, is the athlete who doubles down the one who needs, who probably needs it more. And the one like, wh- how, could you determine need the one who's like, you're right. Like, is that just personality? Yeah. Differences? But- I, you know, and, and I think that that's when you can say like potentially like, hey, like, OK, sounds like there's a lot of things that like you feel are really getting in your way. And I think that that's probably going to lead to like a different kind of goal setting. And like we may need to like set different expectations for where we're going to get to with this, with what you're willing to or able to do at this stage in your thing. And then it's like that highlight of like, well, if this only gets this, I'm not willing to do it, which might change the initial motivation or it might not. But like you've done your job as an external person and the rest of the work is going to be, you know, the things have to go bad enough or you have to like be do poor enough in a race or 
you know, do, you know, have these types of, you know, whether, whatever your goals are, you're so far from it that you're finally willing to change that ratio um, of motivation. When Lisa comes to me with something I'm doing, if I'm incredulous or surprised, I truly didn't know about this. If I react with anger, it's because I'm already ashamed about it and I'm mad that she yes. did it. And yes. if I go, I know you're right. It means I'm ready. <laughs> I've worked on this long enough in silence. I'm ready for help. And so like, yeah, the doubling down could be the, I didn't know about this or I'm not ready to confront it, but anger might be a decent sign from them. It might be, it's not fun. These are not fun conversations, but anger is actually okay. But they usually start, I mean, I've had a few of these hard conversations with athletes or friends, even just about working out or even life stuff. And it usually starts with anger and upset, but usually that settles and then people can be honest with themselves, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Even if it causes a blow up or a temporary hiccup in your relationship, nine out of 10, 10, I'm going to say 10 out of 10 times, at least if you get the thinking or, you know, the dust settles where it should settle. Usually, if you're angry, right? you are you know that, aware like, of it. You know that in your, in your brain, like they do like brain scans of people and like when they're like being physically attacked and when they're like having ideas that like highlight inconsistencies in their own worldview about themselves, like it looks identical on like a brain scan really? as like physical versus like arising inconsistencies, right? So you talk about like anger, like you're being attacked. You're going to be responding to a threat, right? And like there's no difference until you've been able to like your body calms down and says, I'm not under attack anymore, right? And mm -hmm. I can actually do those things. Like it's just it's. It's pretty wild that it's such an overlap. That is. And yet it makes the responses a lot more understandable. Yeah, 100%. It's like somebody being attacked. Anytime things have blown up with somebody, I feel like we end up in such a better place than if I just had a patsy sort of conversation where someone's, yeah, okay, you're mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we get some feelings involved and blah, change is about to happen. Maybe not right the, now, but eventually. The bridge is either burnt or you're bonded for life. Or yeah, it's you're later on going to be bonded for life. Hmm. Um, at this point, I feel like we would just we would probably do this conversation a disservice if we start talking about like spreading out your interests. It's already an hour forty in. I think at this point, what do you think, Ryan? Spreading out your interests. Say more. Oh well, like, like I think there is a group of people that listen, and this is okay. But there's a group of people who listen who have really no other outlet in life. They have no other cup, no. Nothing, no other way to fill their cup. They're pretty all in, right? And I think that's okay to a certain point. And then I think there's a lot of value to having whatever for due seasons of life many times. And that way, everything that you're pursuing with your whole heart, your whole heart is always is available for it because you're not fried to a crisp from both ends all the time in one thing. And I think it's so valuable and people don't understand why I spend so much time in the woods in the fall and don't race now. And why like, but man, like I am now I have another cup I want to fill and now I'm ready. I put a placeholder for one thing. Like I keep running to keep my position, what I've worked hard for, but I'm not trying to improve it right now. And that's okay. Just like you in the off season said, I need two workouts a week. I'm using that as a placeholder. Will I fill my cup another way? So at least I'm set up to do well when I come back and my heart comes back to OCR and running after the Frisbee season is done. And so I just think there is like a lot to say about seasons of the year or life where you ultimately are actually better at everything because you're not focused on one thing. And I know that sounds crazy, 
but I think you can't always put your best foot forward if you only have one foot. And I just think it, it rings true for me and I see it with you. And I think it's a conversation that we don't really have on this podcast. And I think having more to your life than just this, whether it's family or your other sports or whatever, I think is really freaking important. That's just a personal sentiment I have. And you're one of the people I think about when I think about that. So it's that well, conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that you, this is all very aligned because you found what works for you, right? You reset expectations. Your expectation is not, I'm going to be a runner and train hard 12 months out of the year. You have recognized this is where I'm at. I'm not willing to do this. This is an important piece of my life. And you're not feeling bad about it or ashamed about it or like, you know what I mean? You're not making excuses mm -hmm. because there's no excuse to make. You reframe the goal to say like, I'm going to be doing it this time and I'm going to be doing it this time. And so like that is an, it's just a strategy to make it so you don't need to make excuses because you have alignment and you found them, which is awesome. Right. And like, I had all these excuses for not working out in the off season. Also, I was always super motivated after I was like, I'm in such good shape after Frisbee. I want to maintain it. Mm -hmm. wah, wah, you know, and then it just, it just faded away. But now it's now this works and I know it works and I know it will continue. To work. Do you think, do you think you could go full tilt in Frisbee and maintain your love for it? And do you think you could go full tilt and running all the time or OCR and maintain your love for it? It's like, you know, sometimes like not that distance makes the heart grow fonder, but I think there's an aspect to endurance training in which there's purposeful periods in which your emotional investment is low because it charges back up for that thing when it matters. And you're actually able to give more at certain times once you return to it than if you just burned at 80% your entire life. I guess that's what I'm getting at. So yeah. do you think you see any part of that or no? Or you, you love Frisbee so much 10 years from now, six practices a week. You're good well, to go. I mean, I, we, I could do Frisbee all year long. And so, and I play every week um, just, you know, on a regular basis, but like, I'm not, sorry to interrupt, but, but I'm not talking about time investment. I'm talking about emotional investment as much as anything. Yeah. Right. Or a, I don't have the kind of events on a year round basis that require the emotional investment for me to be successful with it. Those only happen once in the summer at a very specific defined time of year. And actually this, this time coming up year, so because we won nationals, we'll participate in Worlds in November this year. And so I will still have a reason to stay all the way up, you know, mm -hmm. and fully motivated. Um, so for me, I haven't actually had to experience that, so I don't have a great answer personally, but like, I imagine that I could stay full on the whole time with Frisbee because I've got that autonomous sense of motivation. It doesn't feel like work, but there just aren't the kinds of tournaments that are there that require that level of emotional investment mm -hmm. year round. Um, so I don't know. I haven't had but that experience yet. But that's the trap. That is exactly the trap because as runners in OCR, we do have that all the time yeah. and it's consuming. Great. Great, yeah. half, half of my athletes can't afford to do anything in their life outside of pay for races and travel and pay me. And it's one of those things like you're all in, right? And it's good, right? But to what what effect and that can come yeah. along with the whole conversation. That's a great distinction. I, I don't even know what I'm getting at other than I think of you and I think of balance and that's all. And I thought it would be worth talking about. I don't know, Bracken, if you have anything to add to that, but like I think it's a worthwhile conversation. I just don't know in which direction. I don't know if there is or is not advice. Mm -hmm. I kind of look Just at it noteworthy. like food where <clears throat> very few people develop taste aversions because they overdid a food. 
they develop mm. a need for a break from that food. Most taste aversions are due to some sort of like, in one shape or form, trauma. But you rarely hear, oh, I had Chinese food every single night for my entire internship, and now I haven't had a Chinese food in 15 years. It's like, no, I ate Chinese food every night for a year, and I took two months off Chinese food, and I started craving it. And that's how I think running is, where mm. you can go for a long time and then, or any sport, competing, training, whatever it is, you need your version of a break where I can run the yes. same trail for 15 straight days. And then the thought of going to that trail is just distasteful that day. And I go and run two other trails and I can't wait to get back to my other trail again. And so I don't know if there's like a, a prescribed break other than your prescription at the moment, but I do believe that you can't live and die by your hobbies activity. Because as soon as it's not fun, the well is poisoned, and there's no guarantee yeah. on when it becomes a joy and a passion again. And so having more than one thing you care about in life means that you're more likely to keep getting those periodic distractions from being too overboard about the one thing you're doing. Whether that's going to the same trail every day, or trying to go to the well in races every week, or getting too obsessed over not moving your lactate threshold up month in and month out, like whatever it is that makes it so that your life is stable when it's not going well in your hobby. That's the important piece to me. Yeah. There's like a contrast effect too, right? Where like to, you know, the idea of like, you, I used to hate spring and sun or hate winter, like with a passion, right? Cause it's dark and all those other things like that. But I've eventually, and I, somebody would come to me and say like, you know, I want a place where it has four seasons. I'm like, why do you choose winter? Like, well, I, I hate everything about winter, right? <laughs> and I now have come to an understanding and I don't I don't get annoyed when people say that because I'm like, I do understand that like I appreciate the there's a, your you, your brain, like just the hedonistic tendency piece treadmill, right? Like you have to go away from something for it to become a new stimulus, for it to have pure motivation, right? So like mm -hmm. all of that makes a ton of sense. It's what you're speaking to. And like, that's just like the human experience that you're, you know, follows right. all the different parts. Well, and Kirk, I find that lifting works enough for some people. Yeah, sure. Like mm -hmm. myself, if I'm lifting or playing basketball, I can't wait to get to my next easy run. Cause it's mm -hmm. like lifting was my break from training. Even though I understand that lifting is training, it's not running training. It's training for running. And so I miss running. I like lifting, but then I can't wait to get to the trail later on in the day. Where I might have woken up that morning like, oh, I don't want to run today. And I lift, it's like, man, do I miss running. And so on a daily basis, it gives me that little break. And so sometimes it's a whole nother sport. Sometimes it's just like a tweak. But I don't think I could agree more that you need something else that like it doesn't mm – -hmm. that second cup to fill – doesn't take away from your ability to fill the first cup. And sometimes people think it does. It's like having three kids rather than one. Hmm. doesn't mean you split, you know, one portion of love three ways. You love all three. And then as a result, you feel like I have more love to give somehow instead of less. It's, it's nonsensical. It's just, it works. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you, I think you said it best. And I agree with you in the like with a time for just like your own version of a break or emotional detachment from something. I think it's important as a reset. It doesn't mean you still don't go do the running, but maybe you run a little less or just don't put in as much emotional energy or physical energy into it for a period of time. It allows you to put more emotional, physical energy into another thing 
to reset you. I think the food thing is probably as spot on as it gets. Like we all love PB and J, but if you serve it to me for every meal, like I'm gonna be the last thing I want. And so I think that's mm-hmm. as dumb, dumb, simply stupid as it could get. And it's as also like the smartest way to put it. And so I think I have a strong opinion on that is what it is. And I didn't have that, that, that opinion in my twenties. I think it's come with age more than anything, like for sustainability reasons, right? Like you can burn Bracken and I have had this conversation. Like you can burn yourself out and half the college, the best college runners I know are complete deadbeats on the running front because it, they had PB and J every day and they didn't even really like it that much. And they were forced to have it every day. And then when they get a chance to make their own food decisions, they're gone. And so it's just like, mm-hmm. I think that for me, it's a personal age longevity biasness to my angle with that as well, that I don't know I would have had, you know, 15 years ago. Well, so I sure. have to, cl- I have to claim some ownership over that part of it. But like, nonetheless, I think I wish I knew this even earlier, just like focus on something else for a little bit. Just that's it. You're going to be better at the Keep thing. Up. People Long don't term. go to marriage counseling that's in year it. one in order to recapture the spark. Like that's, that's, they may go for other reasons, but it's not because you've lost interest in your marriage three months in usually, but on year 10 or 20 or 30, that's like, we, we need to get creative. And I think that's, you're in that stage of running. Like you've known running yeah. for decades and you benefit from time spent doing other things as well. That's not mm-hmm. an advertisement for polygamy. <laughs> or Ashley Madison or anything like that. It kind of sounded like that on the heels of what I said prior, but I'm just going to stop there, I guess. You're talking to a newly married man. Don't set him down the wrong path. <laughs> How do you know about Ashley Madison, Brad? I read the news. Mm-hmm. I'll ask Lisa about that. All right. Well, is this worth spending any more time on or any other insight? I don't know. I just wanted to open that box. No, quick. I feel good. I feel um, okay. in terms of like, you know, they, many of the, the pieces that I think are going to be like most relevant to folks. So, <clears throat> all right. Well, can people like, uh, like I know you're on social media and all that, but like, if they want to, like, is there any reason for people to go check out what you're doing to learn about any of this? <laughs> Anywhere? <laughs> Do I mean, any more use for you other than right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got like, you know, 10 followers on Strava. So, you know, you know, maybe they can, uh, they can see the workouts that I'm doing for you on that or something. <laughs> Oh, they could steal there them. That's go. a good there idea. There you go. So, uh, well, I mean, there's there's no, no platform mean, of yours that you share this sort of info because I follow you on your personal stuff and you have family stuff yeah. and race stuff, but this sort of thing. Yeah, is I mean, I, I would say you. take my psychology class, right? You know, take social psychology. I think there's also like a really good book that is out there too that I teach in my class. It's called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. And I think it's a really fascinating look at like how this plays out in like a lot of different professional arenas, love, you know, relationships you know, retaliation, all these different things like that. Um, it's one that I, that I teach with, but yeah, sign up, sign up for my social psychology class and come audit at Vanderbilt one day, or feel free to get in touch. Happy to ha- chat about this anytime. Are you on sabbatical right now? So I'm teaching remote actually. Um, so I'm teaching via the internets. Um, I'm doing, there's an online EDD program, um, at Vanderbilt. So I'm doing one class through that. And then I'm actually working. So I train new teachers, um, as they go through and get their certification, um, and their license in science. And so I train them and I'm actually going to be training them remotely. We're going to be doing all video observations and like consults, Hmm. um, on a weekly basis with them. Um, we're kind of trying out that model. So I'll be doing those all remote and then come back and teach them. How hard is it to judge classroom management via video? Like, do you have, Um, can you see all the students and the teacher at the same time? I don't need to see the students to know like that what's happening with like 
like it's the planning that comes into the classroom management, okay. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I can know like where the planning is going wrong, which will lead to classroom management and also like what the how the teacher is addressing it. You know, what what other strategies? Um, so it's kind of fine on that side of uh, the, the, that remote observation. But again, I'll, I'll let you know in four months if uh, okay. if I was missing things from like being in the classroom. We're all kind of trying this out. And what, what level are you observing? Middle school okay. and high school. That would be very interesting. You're going to see mm -hmm. some things. 100%. But you know what the funny thing is, is that often I will observe, even in the fall, like sometimes people have a conflict and they just send me their video because they're teaching, taping all their lessons anyway. Mm. So like we, it's not like something we haven't done a lot before. Gotcha. It's just now it'll be our exclusive format. So like it's worked fine. And actually you want to talk about people like not feeling that defensive about things. When I'm telling them feedback about their teaching, sometimes people will be defensive. When we're watching a video together, all of a sudden it's like this objective third criteria. There's like not the personal reaction to it, you know, yeah. like the, the anger and the threat. And so like, there's a lot, it's a very different conversation, which is really it's like game film. I like that. So what exactly, you're saying right? is install, install cameras in every one of our athletes' homes in their personal space. Yeah. And then we can go mm -hmm. review the footage when poor decisions are made. That doesn't sound invasive Not at all. Not creepy at all, but go for it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll tell you what, I appreciate your time, man. I know you're in a transition moving down there, the whole family and everything. And I even threw you a bone a couple of days ago. I was like, Hey man, I did you want to cancel this thing, like, please do. Cause I know you got a lot going. You said, no, I'm showing up for the running public and I'm here. So appreciate your time today for sure. I could have made an excuse, but you know, uh, I was, I wasn't thinking about it. It's external motivation. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All the rewards and the payments I'm getting for this. That's right. No, this is talking about psychology is hundred percent autonomous motivation. I'll tell you that. So well, we appreciate your time and thank you for reaching out when something we did intersected with your field of, of knowledge and expertise. Yeah. I, I loved hearing it, man. I loved hearing it. So keep on doing it. All right. Well, thanks, Ryan. No problem. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Mm -hmm.